Welcome back to Death Walks With Us. I'm your host, Angela. A few things first. I added another graduate class, so I'm up to 14 credits. So what this means is that there will be no episode next week to give me that extra week to focus on the Jonestown Massacre. And yeah, though I said I wasn't going to do another three-episode case, that is going to be three episodes. Uh, condensing it less than that takes too much away from it. Another thing, this was not directed at me, just that I have seen comments on Reddit from true crime podcast listeners about how they feel some podcasters put too much emotion and their own thoughts into podcasts, and some people don't like it. They like just the facts, and for podcasters, just to be objective. That can be very hard to do. Even Keith Morrison can't do that. Sometimes his emotions portray him on certain cases. But what is objective in this case is that it's fucked up and despicable. Absolutely despicable. And I will have a lot of emotions and downright disgust to some of the people involved in this murder. So, if that's something that bothers you, this episode is not for you. But I promise you, the next case will be as objective as possible. It will be a just about the facts case. I mean, holy shit, this case is horrible. It is sickening. I hadn't heard of this case before, and I didn't know what I was getting into. I saw it mentioned on Reddit, and I barely looked into it. I read a short description, and boy, did I misjudge it based on that description. I thought it was a technically unsolved case, that the person got away with it because of the victim having mental illness. Nope, I was wrong. But this case... I am disgusted with humanity. We need more investment in social workers and the court system to protect not just to punish, but to improve society for all, especially the most vulnerable that lack humane protectors. Alright, so we begin this case in Finlay, Ohio on the morning of March 27, 2011. A body was found by train operators on the tracks of a CSX trestle bridge over the Blanchard River near the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Bridge. According to sources, the driver thought he was about to hit a baby deer. When the train and its cars were stopped, he went back to look, thinking it was a baby deer. But instead, under one of the parked cars, was a naked body curled up into a ball. She was covered in stab wounds and had been left for dead. She had been murdered the night before on March 26. At 2.08 a.m., the call went into 911 that they found a body. That body was 24-year-old Vera Jo Wrigley. Vera Jo was born July 11, 1986 in Finley, Ohio, which is in Hancock County. Her parents are listed as Lynn and Verna Marismith on the memorial page. And on that same page, it says Vera Jo goes by the last name Marismith, but police are the ones who identified her with the last name Wrigley. Her guardian, Cheryl Brooks, insisted she be identified by her father's last name. Vera Jo did not have a good life. At 11, she was raped by her father, Willard Wrigley Jr., who was convicted of the crime and received a 20-year sentence. Afterwards, it is reported that she did not get along with her mother. 
Vera had the mental capacity of an eight-year-old child, and with help from her school and special education classes, she was able to graduate from Finley High School in 2005. At 19, Vera began to date 13-year-old Zachary Brooks. No one taught her how her relationship was illegal and appropriate. Eventually, when her mother and stepfather moved, she moved in with Sherry, who became her legal guardian. This was the beginning of the end for her. Zachary's mother, Sherry Brooks, was wheelchair-bound, and by accounts, this family was a very well-known criminal family in the area with Sherry at the head. Now, before I continue, I want to say a lot of my information on Sherry comes from a documentary made by a filmmaker who went to school with Sherry and Vera's father. So, a lot comes from their mouths as she talked to the cameras. This family was not kind to Vera Jo and pretty much made her do all the housework, and they were violent towards Vera. People who knew the family said they treated her like a slave. She had to do everything and was beat if she didn't do it right. The police were called multiple times, but she was too afraid of them to tell the police anything. Zachary had become bored with Vera Joe. He was a young teenager and begun to seek other females' attentions, which was encouraged by his mother. Somehow, it was Vera's fault. Everything that went wrong with this family was Vera's fault. Vera had the mental capacity of a child. Many of her family said that if you told her to do something, she did it, no questions asked. Sherry did not allow Vera to have relationships with her family or former friends. Allegedly, she would basically tell Vera that her family wanted nothing to do with her. Sherry had diabetes, and Vera's job was to rub Sherry's feet. Witnesses say that if she didn't do it correct, Sherry would hit her with a stick, and Vera would apologize over and over. In the documentary about this, Sherry said she didn't know why Vera would apologize, that she must have felt like she had done something wrong. Oh, and Vera was made to sleep in a closet with a pig, which used the space as its bathroom. Somehow, Sherry got everyone that came into her home onto disability and their checks were signed over to her. But besides Vera's money, Sherry wanted what Vera could grow in her womb. Sherry was obsessed with baby girls and wanted everyone's newly born daughters. She wanted babies, not children. A little bit about Sherry's past. Sherry was given the nickname Sugar Babe by her father who molested and raped her before she was put into foster care. At 16 years old, she made her first attempt at getting a baby girl when she moved back in with her mother. Allegedly, she told her mother that a baby at the home was hers, the foster home that she had just come from. And her mother was going to go get that child for her. But luckily, she learned the truth before she kidnapped that child. By many accounts, Sherry is an extremely convincing liar. A strange twist, Verna Vera's mom had lived across the street from Sherry when Vera was a baby, and when Sherry's daughter was removed, Verna alleges that Sherry tried to take Vera to replace her child, but Verna was able to prevent it. Eventually, Sherry had five of her nine children removed because of sexual abuse at her hands. Though the big question is why only five? Why not all nine? 
why weren't the other four removed? Her son admitted on camera that Sherry sexually abused him, but by accounts, more abuse seemed to be directed towards her daughters. Sherry was a predator. She wanted her teenage sons to find young women to impregnate. One young woman talks about how one of them did impregnate her and how the three youngest boys would follow and stalk her. That pregnancy ended in a miscarriage and she was able to move across the state back to her mom's house. Then Vera became pregnant. She was ecstatic over the pregnancy and by accounts so was Sherry who would point to her belly and say that was her baby. Sherry had encouraged the pregnancy of Vera by Zachary. Sherry wanted that baby so bad she fed Vera castor oil. Three full bottles, which I guess is way more than one is supposed to take if they want to induce labor. Sherry wanted the baby girl to be born on her birthday and instead she was born on the next day, November 4th at 4.16 a.m. She was premature and had to spend time in the hospital from her weak organs. Vera loved her baby so much. The problem was Sherry, who wanted to be in charge of the baby. She had seen Vera only as an easy access to getting a baby girl. She had told Zachary if it was a baby girl, he was to sign over his rights, and he did. Vera was not allowed to do anything with the baby. If she did, Zachary would hit her. Quick mention, Sherry was married to a one Kevin Brooks, who was the opposite of Sherry and tried to keep out of everything. He was like a silent partner who never did anything to stop Sherry, but gave her his support. Supposedly only one of her sons, Punky, stood up to her, but he was killed in the summer before Vera's murder. He was supposedly walking alongside the road to get drugs for someone and was hit by a car. Sherry wouldn't accept it as an accident and wanted revenge. She needed someone to blame, so she insisted to everyone, even in the documentary, that his girlfriend, who was walking with him, pushed him in front of the cab that killed him. And she went so far as to have someone beat Punky's girlfriend severely. This is when people alleged that the abuse escalated on Vera. Some people had to have given a shit because multiple agencies were called. They removed Vera's baby, but not her, even though she was a vulnerable adult. Vera's cognitive level was that of an eight-year-old. Verna, Vera's mother, said they would not do anything because she was 23 years old and as an adult, she could stay. Vera would say to them she wanted to stay there, even though the social workers would point out to her how disgusting the house was. There were cockroaches everywhere, just filth, absolute filth everywhere. One said that they didn't think there was a vacuum in that house. Vera was over 18 and said she wanted to say, I know that is Ohio, and at least in New York, we have a special department with the Justice Center that would have charged her caregivers with abuse for what Vera went through and possibly could have stopped this. That is, if the case was brought to them. 
Two months before the murder on January 21, 2011, a domestic violence call went into the police. This, like I said, was not the first. According to a non-family member who witnessed the abuse, they said the abuse was getting worse and they would threaten her to lie to the police and tell them her injuries were her own fault. Zachary's mother, Sherry, told the documentary crew it was someone else that she was dating who beat Vera. But Sherry's oldest son goes on to say that she was told to say it was a black dude she was dating. Oh my, watching this documentary, watching this woman try so hard to stick to a story she made up and force Vera to say is disgusting when it was her own son who beat Vera. Multiple family members countered this tale that that night her son Michael says Zachary had gone to Sherry and she told him a tale of how Vera pushed her own daughter into a coffee table so he went to Vera and punched her in the face. They got Zachary's aunt in on the beating and she is the one who broke Vera's nose. Like, she, Sherry's a piece of shit. She encouraged abuse and would make up tales just to see Vera get beat. She is a despicable, disgusting piece of human garbage. Anyways, the police were called and they did take Vera to the emergency room. And Sherry says she was allowed to stay with Vera, as Vera supposedly wouldn't talk to them alone. That should never be allowed. But then again, Vera maybe had been afraid that if she didn't have them there with her to witness her interaction, it might be hard for her to prove to them what she really said to them, and might get beat if they didn't believe her. But... It was documented in the police report that when they asked Vera if they could speak to her, she looked at Sherry for approval and Sherry stated, quote, you can talk to her. The police did not question this nor separate them, but in the documentary, Sherry said they could have said that, but that doesn't mean she'd listen to them. When abused people come into emergency rooms, they are supposed to be separated from anyone so they can get the true story from them. It seems this system failed, Vera. Oh, yeah, but before I continue, I want to say that the Brooks family claimed to be part of the Crips. Yeah, I'm going to say, I just don't believe it. In the documentary, they do refer to them as the Brooks Boy Gang. Punky had been their gang leader before his death. Sherry's son says Sherry believes she was in the Crips. The photos of them throwing down gang symbols in the documentary is absolutely laughable. Yeah, so anyways, one day they were outside and Vera accidentally dropped a brick on Sherry's foot. Sherry made the others in the house believe Vera intentionally did it. To them, this was a fatal error. Sherry claims that she didn't apologize, that Vera never apologized for anything, though she had literally just told the story in the documentary of Vera apologizing for some reason that she didn't know what for. Anyways, it was seen that Sherry used this in her manipulation. Sherry allegedly starts talking about killing Vera at this point. 
about how like she'll load her up with pills and then have her walk on tracks and fall and get killed. The tracks were chosen because two years before, Sherry's nephew, 16-year-old Travis, was killed on those tracks, and they wanted the same exact thing to happen to Vera. Or maybe it was just part laziness as the tracks were only, I think, either 300 feet or 300 yards from their disgusting shithole of a home. They did not consider Vera human. She was there to serve Sherry and everyone else in that household. What is despicable is that these abuses are described by people in the house. Why the fuck did they not do anything? They are all culpable and should be charged. They allowed the abuse of a vulnerable person. They sat back and did nothing. They were complicit with their inactions. They discuss on camera the abuse Vera went through that they witness. It's not just one person saying that, but multiple people. By sitting back and not saying anything, it actually feeds a person's ego, and they can and will increase their abuse when no one reacts, when they are not held accountable. But then again, someone was repeatedly calling the police and other agencies. It had to have been someone in that house, but no one said in the documentary, yeah, I called the police, I called child protective agencies, I called this agency or that agency. Hmm, now I wonder, maybe they sat back because the police and other agencies did nothing. Now that I think of it, I wish they addressed that in the documentary with these people, because if they called the appropriate people and they did nothing, they would see their intervention was pointless, while also feeding Vera's abusers that they can and will get away with it. March 26, 2011, at 2.12 p.m., police were called once again to the Brooks home, and according to Sherry's eldest son, he was woken up so Vera could be hidden as she was covered in bruises. They were called because a bunch of the Brooks had gotten into a street brawl with a family down the street. That included Daniel. Daniel Bixel is a cousin of the Brooks family who had just gotten out of jail three weeks before after serving a three-year sentence and moved into the Brooks home. After being released, his violence started escalating. So, how he and his girlfriend, Nicole, ended up in the Brooks home was because they had been in the neighboring town of Tiffin and fled. Because, even though he had just gotten out of jail at a park, he pulled a knife out and threatened a teenager because the teen refused to give up his swing seat to Daniel's girlfriend, Nicole who had only been dating for maybe a week and a half, according to witnesses. They fled the town to Brooks's home as warrants were issued for them. They were in hiding. Now, why might you ask did they choose Sherry's places? Of all the places, why her? Because she is a sick human being. And yeah, every chance I get, I'm going to bash this piece of shit. She is disgusting. Daniel Bexler, who is Daniel Bexler's father, there was no mention of junior, senior, well, at least I didn't catch it, is Sherry's cousin. 
She said happily and laughing in the interview, they used to call them the kissing cousins. Sherry's eldest son was fathered by the older Daniel, her mother's sister's son. Consensual incest. This son was raised by Sherry's mother. So this is the home of his half-brother's mother. And the brother also lived there. Daniel had a lot of anger for being in prison, and Sherry allegedly told Daniel that Vera was the one who pushed Punky in front of the van. Vera was a threat to Sherry because she wanted Vera's baby. So, allegedly, Sherry used Daniel to get rid of Vera. Daniel had looked up to his cousin, and this would have pushed him over the edge, especially with the violence he was capable of. Anyways, in the documentary, um, when they get back to the abuse that Vera suffered, Sherry does discuss a lot of the abuse that happened to Vera. And Sherry said they picked up, meaning Daniel and Nicole, they, one of them picked up a belt that had a lock on it, and they would hit Vera with it. Shannon, who is uh, Sherry's, Michael's, Sherry's son Michael's wife, says that afterwards, that was their weapon of choice. Oh, and a long paddle. They would use a long paddle. So here, you see, someone is talking about the abuse they witnessed. Sherry said Nicole would take that paddle and beat Vera's ass. The more Vera screamed, the more Nicole got off on it. Daniel would beat her, would beat Vera. And then him and Nicole would go upstairs and have sex. They broke every bone in Vera's face. Allegedly, Sherry kept saying Vera was interested in Daniel and Nicole would beat her more. Sherry's son says all the beatings happened in Sherry's room and claims that she wanted her beat. They tortured Vera, a cognitively delayed adult who had the mentality of an eight-year-old. So in a sense, they tortured a child. Oh my god, Sherry is fucking disgusting piece of human shit. She talks about how they were beaten Vera and Nicole kept asking her, can I kill her? Can I kill her? She had the most twisted smile on her face. She probably got off discussing this on camera. So it's discussed how they took a break from the torture and beating of Vera and walked across the street to get lunch at a soup kitchen and workers were shocked at Vera's face. They discussed it on camera how beat up she was that day and these workers didn't seem to question it or call the police or maybe they just didn't care. About 9 p.m. Um, Daniel and Nicole forced Vera to put her shoes on and leave the house. On her way out she said to Sherry, good night sugar babe. She would soon be stabbed to death by Daniel and left for dead. They left her naked and alive on the tracks. Because she was still alive, she curled up into a ball, which prevented the train from destroying her body like the Brooks had wanted. So after the murder, her murderers went back to the house and continued to drink, to continue to party. Oh, and Daniel wore crip colors as a statement that it was official gang business. Vera was cut ear to ear. They forced Vera to get naked because they couldn't get the knife through her clothes. The odd thing is Sherry, who didn't speak to them, gave this as the possible reason as to why she was naked, that they couldn't get the knife through her clothes. It's 
a really weird thing to say. I guess I should say it's kind of a odd conclusion to why Vera was naked to come up with. Vera was left to die. She bled out and they went to party. They celebrated. They told multiple people who thought they were joking. Shannon says Nicole went to her with a big smile and looking for a hug. Happy it was done. Daniel was high-fiving Zachary. Nicole then says to Sherry, I got my first teardrop, and Sherry was happy. This is by witnesses that were there at the house afterwards. Nicole was very excited and happy afterwards. Zachary, though, by accounts, was very upset and sad, and a friend said he was hitting his head on the wall. He did not go with them, but he probably had knowledge of exactly what they were doing. At 3 a.m., they went to the store for some supplies, and a relative noticed the train was stopped and asked the clerk why, since it was out of the ordinary, and the clerk said they found a body. She looked at Daniel and saw his reaction and knew then that they had not been joking, that they had killed Vera. It did not take long for the investigators to link Daniel to her murder. There was a camera across the street that caught all three on camera headed to the tracks, which, like I said, were not far from the Brooks' home. They had a knife pointed at Vera and told her they would stab her right then and there. Eighteen hours after the murder, Daniel directed the investigators to where he threw the knife off a bridge and pointed to the spot it should be, and they found it. They took it from Sherry's kitchen. Nicole did implicate herself, but didn't give as much details as Daniel did. He admitted that he and Nicole planned Vera's murder, that they walked her to the tracks, and Daniel stabbed her to death. According to the indictment, Nicole was charged with obstructing justice because she had taken the knife and hid it. She was moved from juvenile court to be tried in the Hancock County Common Pleas Court, meaning she was to be tried as an adult. Many in the Brooks family were implicated in lying to the police, even her 14-year-old son. Daniel said in a jailhouse interview that if Sherry said something was to happen, it happened. I am going to mention that after the murder, the police went to Sherry first, not her mother. Sherry told the police that Vera's parents were both dead. Sherry told numerous lies. A major lie she instigated was that a homeless man was the one who killed Vera. Sherry told police that this man was Vera's boyfriend and she had left that night with him. Friends say that was impossible because Sherry would never let Vera be with anyone but Zachary and she wasn't allowed to leave without one of them. They wouldn't let her have a cell phone. Her son's wife, Shannon, said Sherry denied her a cell phone because Vera might call her mother. Sherry kept changing the story as she learned information. In the investigation, they discovered that Vera's sister called in a complaint six months before her murder that Vera was being held hostage at the Brooks home. There was no report filed on this. Sherry did get 30 days in jail for lying, but Sherry got nothing for the torture she encouraged on Vera. She was involved. She encouraged it. She lied to get Vera harmed and removed out of the baby's life. She got 30 days for hindering. 
her son says she was planning a story before Vera was dead. Sherry puts the blame on her daughter-in-law, Shannon, for Vera's death. She says that Shannon was the one who wanted to remove Vera to have that baby. And she says that Shannon was the one involved. Why? Because Shannon did lie that she was pregnant and used an instant to get out of lying by saying she had a miscarriage when there was some lie about Vera setting off pepper spray. So Sherry used that instant to say Shannon was the one to orchestrate Vera's death for wanting that baby. Nicole also claimed this was why they killed Vera. The courts used this excuse of a miscarriage because they listened to Sherry, but the evidence actually doesn't support that. So that day of her murder, Mace did go off in the home, and so they used this as an excuse to kill her. Also remember, Shannon allegedly used this as an excuse to get out of a fake pregnancy, which she might have lied because Sherry was pressuring all of her son's girlfriends to get pregnant so she could have access to baby girls because she's a sick, disgusting predator. Allegedly, in this video, it came out that on the day of her death, the youngest Brooke's son made Vera pick up dog poop and eat it. She was on her period. They raped her with her toothbrush and made her brush her teeth. I don't know if, if it's true or if they added on that afterwards. This is just extreme torture. But the witnesses in the documentary say that happened, but I don't know if they saw it. If they saw it, that is fucking... That makes garbage too. Now, that day of the murder, a visitor to the house said they asked her if she wanted to cut Vera. They had beaten and violated Vera. At one point, Sherry justified this beating by saying that Vera gave another baby spoiled milk. Witnesses saw the bruises and Vera curled up in a ball why didn't they do anything? They are all talking about the violence inflicted on Vera, but they didn't do shit and Vera's dead. They allowed a vulnerable adult to be abused and murdered. They were all guilty. That day, they beat her bloody and people saw her curled up and scared and they did nothing but go home and forget about her. This family tortured Vera and no one did anything to stop it. So many people knew and they did nothing. They are all complicit in her death. I mean, this, this visitor that came and they asked her if they wanted to cut Vera and they, they saw her beat and bloody and they did nothing? They're disgusting too. <sighs> Shannon discussed on screen about the night Vera was murdered. She said that when they told Vera to put her shoes on, she yelled, why? Shannon said she thinks Vera knew what was going to happen, and she looked at Shannon. Shannon did nothing. Vera then asked Sherry's oldest son, and he actually went to get his shoes, but he was stopped by Zachary and told not to go because his mother didn't want him to go. He's told the police it was Daniel that stopped him. He thinks his brother stopped him to protect him. They all ignored Vera's pleas not to go. They knew the violence that was happening to her and only one wanted to go and was stopped and told not to go and he complied. But the rest of them, they knew what Daniel and Nicole were doing to her, how they were beating the shit out of Vera and they let her go with them. 
What the hell did they think was going to happen? The hell is wrong with these people? Zachary did get four years for obstruction of justice, and he was able to keep his parental rights after the murder because his charges were not that serious of charges. Yeah, you heard that. Daniel says that they wanted Vera gone because if Vera left the house, she could get full custody of the baby. The morning after Vera's body was discovered, Sherry contacted Child Services to request Zachary be granted custody. Luckily, the request had been denied and the baby was put up for adoption. Zachary did have a chance. He had to go to two supervised visitations, but the first one was cut short because the baby started crying hysterically and would not let him touch her. So he didn't go to the second and that failure to go to the second one was used against him and he was denied his parental rights and the baby was put up to adoption. Sherry still though waits for that baby to be reunited with Zachary so I guess the comments I had seen had to do with the fact that Sherry never got any real punishment and it was her manipulation that caused Vera's death and her encouragement that caused them to torture Vera for hours. Allegedly she manipulated Daniel into killing Vera by using her son's death just so she could have Vera's baby because she has this fucked up obsession with baby girls. This woman is a piece of garbage fungus. I, I No, I said that quite a few times, but she is. I want everybody to know that. She knew Daniel was a violent wannabe gangster and she knew she could use that. She knew how to manipulate to get what she wanted. But I guess I'm happy to report, eventually, in an unrelated incident, Sherry got 40 months for drug trafficking. One of her sons, Michael, described her as a female Charles Manson. Over the years, she has had many arrests and allegations against her, but has always gotten just slaps on the wrist. Daniel pled guilty to aggravated murder and was sentenced to 40 years to life in prison. Nicole was sentenced to 23 years for her involvement in Vera's murder. Daniel does not accept full responsibility for his role in the murder of Vera. At sentencing, he said, I deeply apologize for my actions. I allowed drugs and alcohol and other individuals to lead me into doing these actions. I know Sherry manipulated him by telling him Vera caused Punky's death and those other lies, but the violence was there, and in this case, I don't think it took much to get these two to murder Vera. They enjoyed it too much and got a sexual charge for her murder. I don't believe that someone who was 100% manipulated would get that much sexual excitement from torture and murder unless they're a sick fucking person in the beginning. They would leave and go have sex while they were torturing Vera. So yeah, that doesn't sound like it took much manipulation on Sherry's part. but. She did manipulate the hell out of that situation. One final note, the prosecution found a note in Vera's purse that they read in court. I love you, baby's name. You are a good little girl to us. I'm glad to be your mommy. I'm glad that I had you on November 4th at 4.16 a.m. Six pounds, two ounces, 19 inches long. Mommy loves you. The prosecution was trying to humanize Vera because the Brooks family did not see her as human. All right. 
I will be posting hotline numbers in the show notes. If you know anyone who is being abused, call these numbers. If you are being abused, call these numbers or text. Text START to 88788. That's text START to 88788. Oh, and I believe most areas you can text 911 now to get them to come. And you know what? If you know someone's in trouble, keep calling the police. Look at laws to see if there is another charge besides a domestic violence charge, like disturbing the peace. I don't know. Just look. And remember, it's not your fault if the abuser goes to jail and ends up economically ruined. It's their fault. They should not be putting their hands on anyone. They need to be held accountable. And if warnings don't work, then jail it is. Too many cases end in death because people don't want to get involved and they don't hold abusers accountable. They need to be forced into programs. It's weird, but people who are forced into programs have a better chance of changing than those who volunteer. Read a book uh, that's called Why Does He Do That? It has a lot of really good information in it. So that concludes this case. And so on that note, um, you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, join my Facebook group, Death Walks With Us. Uh, I have a TikTok and one day I will use it. Oh, I also started an Instagram account. They all have the same red photo of a painting of trees that I did. And with that, till next time, goodbye. The end.